Thank you for listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. With your host, Dapper Data. What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? You are listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. I am your host, Dapper Data. I have a special guest on today, and I'll introduce him shortly. But the topic that we're going to have today is something I haven't done before, okay? We talk about data. We talk about programming. We talk about uh, I brought guests on where we where, where they had nothing to do with data science, but they actually did with their career, you know? So we've talked about uh, a variety of different uh, topics, you know, related to data, data science, um, everything from ingest all the way to analyzing, to visualizations, all that good stuff. But we never really took several steps back, which is probably the most important thing, really understanding what data is, right? You know, really having, achieving what we call data literacy, okay, which is an essential step to a company's roadmap. And we'll talk about that in a few when I bring on a special guest. But more concretely, it's when you think about data literacy, it helps employees make data-driven decisions, okay? It helps them interact with data critically. It helps form effective data governance, you know, you name it, okay? So understanding what it means within your organization, that's what we're gonna talk about today. And I brought on a special guest. His name is Kevin Hannigan, all right? Kevin is currently the chief learning officer of a company called Click, which is a data-driven or an analytics company. You know, he has also been a chair of the advisory board of the Data Literacy Project and author of multiple books, including what you hear a little bit more about today, Turning Data into Wisdom, How We Can Collaborate with Data to Change Ourselves, Our Organizations, and Even the World. So Kevin, thanks a lot for being on the podcast today. Um, I'm glad to have you. Uh, tell them a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you having me too. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I have, a, I guess, an interesting background. So, uh, you know, undergraduate, when I was younger, I was a, a techie. So I went to school for computer science, math, statistics, and started getting a few jobs there, but always had a passion for learning and, and understanding how, you know, we make decisions and think and the psychology aspect of it. So over the next few years or so, I ended up going back and getting degrees in things like uh, one's called organizational performance and workplace learning, how we improve mm -hmm performance at, at an individual level within an organization. Um, and at the company I'm at now, Click Data and Analytics Software, we teach people how to, to use analytics software and work with data to make better decisions. And I just had this light bulb moment, it was you know, five or six or seven years ago, where we're teaching people how to look at a correlation, we're teaching people how to build a bar chart or look at a pie chart. But the, the most important question was, the question no one was asking and it was the question we weren't teaching which was why am i doing this like they're just so excited they follow the lab and there's a bar chart and everyone's excited but i don't know if they really understood why and, and why it's important to understand if there's a correlation and, and what it means that they're not so i i started doing a lot of research and passion on, on as you said data literacy trying to make sure that everyone today makes decisions with data and, and we think about data as like numbers, but data is anything. It's it's reviews on websites. It's what you see in the news. It's just everything. And so we all make decisions with that, but we don't fully understand that the decisions we make with that information data um, sometimes are faulty. Sometimes they're misleading, and and that's really what you know data literacy. And we'll get into it later. Is for me, is it, it's helping us really understand what that data means and how we can use it to gain insights. Yeah, no, no, that's great. You know, that's definitely interesting because uh, you you started off as a techie, like you said, you know, but you got into something and you found a unique niche, right? Yeah. That that a lot of people kind of skipped over, right? They say, hey, I'm going directly into this one path related to data. You know, we talked about before. You know, there's there's so many different paths that people take related to data, but they almost skip past the why, right? The why that you mentioned, right? They're, they're skipping past, why am I doing what I'm doing when it comes down to data science, you know, or, or data in general? I, I even have my own use case where I think about why did I do certain algorithms, right? When dealing with machine learning, 
right? I, I'm sitting there and they're like, yeah, they, they said, but do, you know, logistic regression, right? You know, for this, you know, or the K means there, right? For this. And I'm thinking, why? You know, I, I never thought why until it probably took me about two or three years later to say, why am I, why am I doing this, right? Because they're almost making it so easy in this world, right? Technology-wise for you to just use the tools without having to ask the question why. And it seems like the benefit, uh, if you if you understand the reason why you're doing it, you actually can become more successful, you know, uh, in in the future. You know, do you do you see that? Absolutely. I mean, it's a great point. We we ask why, not just to to know, just for the sake of knowing why. It's not because we just need to know. It's because maybe knowing why informs us that we shouldn't be doing a k-means clustering maybe we should do a different type of clustering or maybe we shouldn't right. do logistic regression <laughs> so the why is like oh now i see what you want and sometimes people you know when you ask the question why they'll give you an answer and it's hard for us to sometimes challenge right and so you know i would want yeah. people to be like, why do you want to do that like what is how does that tie to your organizational's goal what, what's your outcome you get the mm -hmm. answer. What are you going to do differently? And if, if you can't answer that and you can't say how that input is going to be successful and help your vision of your organization, it, it's a waste of time. So why is is a very simple question, but it has many, many layers. I and mean, we spend weeks talking about why, um, but it, it just opens a new mindset to people. And I think that's one of the big things I'm trying to you know, educate people on is it's not just tech skills. It's If anything more, it's a mindset change than, yeah. than anything. And I see, I look at myself when I think about the why, um, I honestly think more work, right? Because it, and maybe that's why I'm, I'm lazy about thinking the why sometimes, right? You know, because you actually have to, and understanding the why means you have to do more research on that specific topic where it's so easy to just use a tool, right? And just come up with the result, you know? Um, so that, that's what I see as my mindset, especially if I'm somebody that, that doesn't really understand it as much, right? You know. Look, I mean, so here's a perfect example. So I'll equate it to one of my kids, right? One of my kids is learning uh, multiplication or they're learning long division and they'll come home and they're like, dad, I'm, you know, I'm really mad, I'm like, what's going on? Well, I got the right answer, but the teacher, you know, marked me off 10 points. I'm like, why are you this game? Like, like, I didn't show my work. And I'm like, what do you mean you didn't show it? Like, I just wrote the answer down. And, cool. and I said, well, good lesson, right? Good, good parental moment, 101, okay, son, sit down. Why do you think it's important to show your work? And he's like, well, I, I guess if I didn't get it right, then the teacher would know where I messed up and she could correct me and I could learn it differently. And I'm like, yeah. life moment, right? When you're doing long division, there's only one right answer. Now you yeah. pivot to business where everything's much more complicated. There's tons more data. There's probably 20 different viable answers for every decision that you make. Showing the why gives you the breadcrumb trail to understand where maybe you have a wrong assumption, you have an outdated mental model, or then even take it further, you decide on something, you act on it, it doesn't come out the way you want. Now you have not a why. You can go back and be like, oh, here's where I made that mistake. Let's go back and change it. Yeah. So it is, you know, we're, we're trained almost to be lazy and we're trained to assume everything we do is correct. But that's the important thing now in this world. There is no black and white. It's not, yes, it's not binary. And so showing your work is critical. So you can see those 200 options. And I messed up because I assumed this was going to happen and this didn't happen. I can yeah. much quickly pivot than if I just show the final answer. He still doesn't show his work, but it, I, I think right. I got <laughs> I think yeah. he learned. I mean, the calculator's here, right? You know, so. <laughs> if there was a calculator for, you know, uh, taking in context and bias and assumptions, I'd use it today. <laughs> I know, I would too, you know. But understanding the why would be so much better, right? Why are you even, you know, they, they make it so much simpler, but, but understanding the why is important, like you said. So would we say, right, if I was to say data literacy, if I was to define it, right, in a sentence, would you agree that data literacy is uh, having the ability to really read, to create, and communicate data as information, you know, effectively? Right. I mean, I would agree with that. I've seen tons of definitions, and they all sound similar. And one of the ones I hear a lot too is read, work with, and challenge. And sometimes it's communicate instead of challenge. 
and it's all accurate. The, I guess the part that it, you know, is important for me to get across is I don't know if people really know what that means. Like if I walk up to a typical person who's not data literate or, or it's not yes or no, but it could be more data literate. And I say, do you know how to read, work with and challenge your data? I don't think they're going to have a clue what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. so I it, it's wordy, but I like to try to do definitions that are more. What's the outcome? What's the action? So th those are steps. But to me, the action is making the most informed decision with data. And sometimes that means you're going to get a statistical report from a colleague and they're going to tell you something with 95% confidence interval. Data literate mm -hmm. means understanding that's not foolproof. Don't bet the whole bank on it. If you can't, there's still a chance. And when it doesn't come through, it wasn't the wrong model. It just means 5% of the time it wasn't going to work. Um, when you get a data point and someone's like, aha, I found the answer. Challenging mm -hmm. data means questioning if they really found the data or if they have confirmation bias. Are they just seeing what they want to see? And so, you know, when you follow those steps of thinking about challenging the data, um, you know, going back to, again, my kids and stuff, they, they learn the scientific method in school. You know, you, mm -hmm. you come up with a hypothesis, you do everything in your power to try to disprove it. And then only mm -hmm. when you've exhausted everything. But I feel like in the business world, and you mentioned lazy before, I'm not going to say we're lazy, but we see a data point and instantly it confirms our beliefs. And we're like, I have the answer, move on, next. And yeah. we're not trying to actually challenge it. So wouldn't data literacy is about not trusting the number blindly, but trying to question if it's wrong. And then if it, you can't break it down or make it look wrong, then moving forward and assuming it's correct. So that's what data literacy is to me. It's about whatever level you are in the organization or individual, whether you're an exec or a consumer, however you interact with data, you can interpret what you're getting. It doesn't mean you have to be a data scientist, but then you can also challenge it and ask questions and challenge assumptions. And then you can communicate it out to people in a way that they don't need a PhD in statistics to interpret it. Right, right. Oh man, you you have, I just have so many questions, man. I don't even know if it's a podcast for this, right? You know? <laughs> Only because I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, as, you, as you're bringing about all this knowledge related to data literacy, you know, some of the things that come to mind is, you know, everybody's not on the same, you know, uh, a wavelength as far as or, or skill set as far as uh, understanding data, right? You know, so you may talk to somebody that is a data scientist that still needs to understand data literacy, uh, and but they understand enough to be dangerous, I guess, if you want to use some type of phrase or something, right? To they might understand how to challenge, right? Some things, you know, because they might have or they got their PhD, right? You know, so I'm working on my PhD now, and and I know that a lot of times. I'm working on, you know, you have the hypothesis and you're, you're, you're really trying to figure out how to disprove something, right? I'm going through my dissertation phase, you know, I'm thinking about how people are probably trying to disprove, right? What I'm, what I'm, what I'm trying to go through the dissertation phase. So I, you know, at, at a certain level, I may understand certain things, but then I may not understand everything, right? And then you have people that are in a very novice stage of understanding data, right? And they're in the same organization. You know, so you almost have to teach them differently. You know, if I think about a football team, right, and I'm a coach on a football team, and I, you know, most all the kids I cannot coach the same. They're all different, right? Some may react to uh, hardcore yelling at them, saying "get it together." You know, some may just break down and cry, right, because they don't they don't respond well to that, right? So I have to really talk to them and they might want to understand why I'm moving from this one gap to another or something or moving from this one position to another. You know, I understand the why, but they need to understand why before they actually perform well. So you probably see that a lot, right? <laughs> you do. I mean, it's a great analogy because in a practice, I assume if you're on the defensive line or or similar, you're, you're not practicing throwing or catching the ball, right? Because it's a different skill set. I think that's right. why data literacy also is kind of abstract for people is it does depend on your role. And so it's mm -hmm. not yes or no, it's a spectrum and it's tied to your role. So you mentioned the data scientists, like 
you know, they're hardcore statisticians, but they still need to know how to challenge their assumptions. So they're training their model. Mm-hmm. What if, they, I mean, tons of examples in the news where people did like the self-driving cars and the, the mistakes were that they <laughs> right. their assumptions with, with the bias in the data, but then you go all the way down to the consumer who just gets the output of something and they say, yes, we're going to look at loans and we're going to default on this one. And they need to be able to say, okay, I can't just blindly trust that. I want to know why. I want to look behind the black box and want to see the work. Um, and then you have the leaders who come up with the decisions and the actions, and it becomes a change management practice. And if they communicate the same way to all of their stakeholders, they're going to fail because every stakeholder has different data levels. So mm-hmm. maybe you communicate to the, the data scientist, but to the consumer, you know, we always talk about in the classes make the visualization because everyone uses data visualizations, make it map the output. So we see people build these complicated visualizations and then they share them and they share them to someone who doesn't even know how to use Excel. And they're looking <laughs> at like, that's too complicated. I just trust you. And that's the worst thing you can do because we're trying right. to, to just trust them, um, you know, trust the people, but, you know, challenge the process, so to speak. So I think the football analogy or any sports analogy is spot on. You, you have different positions, and I think, as you said it too, you have different levels. So I can't expect the rookie to have the same level of proficiency as the all pro. It's, it's not going to happen. Right. You have to get them there. And the worst thing you can do to someone is hold up that Hall of Famer and say, you're going to be like them tomorrow. You set them mm-hmm. up and you have to kind of slowly show them that progression, right. Um, right. which again is an abstract concept for people. They just think data literacy you know, is, is like the other literacies, like reading, right? But if you think about right. it, you know, you're not a master reader in, you know, first grade, you evolve over time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you one thing. If I was a rookie in the NFL and you said, you must be like this Hall of Famer, you know, I I might run away, man, you know, or or, or, or even if I'm, uh, you know, in, in, in middle school playing football or, or high school, right, you know, and and say this is this is what you must be like right you know and you you really want to take those baby steps to get there right because you know you don't understand the exposure and the experiences that they've gone through to get to that point right you know so it's definitely different levels of way the ways you have to probably educate them from a data literacy standpoint to get them to become the hall of famer right absolutely and one thing you said i think is critically important because it i always say it's a team sport and it really closely parallels like diversity and inclusion you know, the other thing you would say is if someone's at middle school, you want to be like that Hall of Famer is I want people to say, no, I want to be like me. And and what that means for data is you want diversity because that person might have a different background. They might have different perspectives. They might have different beliefs. And because of that, they might unconsciously have a bias. Their view is based off of that. Not saying it's the wrong answer. It's just you want to get another view and another view and triangulate and corroborate. And to do that, we need everyone to bring their own experiences. So it's actually, you know, trying to teach them that you don't want to copy the next person. You actually want to bring yourself, which is hard for many of us, bringing our full self to work. A lot of us can't say we can do that, but that's why I love data literacy is it's, it's about that too. It's about bringing your actual self because you have something to contribute based off your experience that that other person doesn't have. Man, man, I, Again, Kevin, I have I have a ridiculous amount of questions, you know, that, that probably would extend past this uh, this podcast. But uh, but so so um, you know, doing a lot of research on you, Kevin, I, I did get to understand that you work a lot with organizations, right? And data literacy is one thing, right? When you're doing one-on-one coaching, that's that's one thing, right? But then when you're on the level of an organization, right, an enterprise, right? and trying to create a data-informed organization, you know, how how do you create that? You know, how do you see yourself creating that, you know, when 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 working with a lot of your, uh, the, the organization? Yeah, I, it, it's it's not easy, right? Because I think we said it, 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 sometimes it's an abstract concept, like people want a cookbook and the cookbook is really personalized depending on what the organization is trying to do. But I, I do think there are some key tenets. I mean, first and foremost for me, coming from a learning background, it's about starting with education for people, what it is, what it isn't, how it can help the organization. We've done studies that shows, you know, 70, 80% increased ROI for organizations that have higher data literacy. 
Um, that also requires other benefits too of having it be innovative, great places to work, you have less attrition. And I think one of the times I see challenges is when organizations try to bite off more than they can chew and, and set a goal that's unattainable. I'm a huge fan of you know, going in incremental steps and agility. So I think one of the biggest things we found success is find a project that is ripe for data literacy, focus on that, get the outcomes, get the RRI, do the case study, do the internal win report, and instantly you'll have people in the org being like, oh, wow, look at that project. They just did it faster, quicker, cheaper, better than we ever could. That mm -hmm. data literacy thing must be real. Let's let's look at it more. And you kind of internally almost do a marketing campaign by starting small and growing big. Um, I guess the one of the other big things that we found is I'm a huge fan of grassroots efforts, but if you don't have leadership support, it's not going to work because again, mm -hmm. one of the is challenging data. So if you go into a meeting with an exec and the exec says, I think we should drop this market and go over here and you stand up and say, I disagree, look at the data this way. And that person gets fired or reprimanded because it's not their culture to talk up in front of execs. No one's going to talk up in front of execs. So mm -hmm. you kind of need to have that buy-in where they're like, we're changing our culture. We're changing our mindset. The many is better than the few and you all have great perspectives, we're all gonna give you the empowerment, the mindset to be more data literate. Now, challenge me. Um, right. You have leadership that does that, the innovation goes through the roof, the productivity goes through the roof. Um, yeah. So, I mean, those are two, I could, I, again, I could speak for hours, right. but those are two things that I think anyone could, you know, take away and start with. Right, right, I mean, those are great, you know, do you ever see, um, when trying to create a data-informed organization, do you ever see where, you know, they're actually missing pieces within the organization where they need to actually hire, right? Like maybe data visionaries or something like that. You, you're, you're, you're saying, hey, look, you know, you, you got great pieces here, right? Uh, and I can work with you, right, and educating uh, everybody that's here on it, but you're missing this one piece to it. Yeah, and sometimes it's not just resources. I mean, at a high level, I like to look at it is you need the right um, tools and technologies. I'll explain that in a second. You need the right processes, and then you need the right people and, and enablement. Um, you know, one example from a tools point of view is if the consumers, you know, we, we'll go into an organization and, and we'll ask, we'll do a baseline assessment, and we'll say, you know, how do you use data to make decisions? And they're like, I don't. Yeah, I just mm -hmm. gut feel, right? It's gotten me this far, it's gotten me. And we'll ask <laughs> many times the answer is, I don't trust the data. So oh. if they don't have data that's trustworthy or trusted, then they're not gonna use it. And so that's where the tools and technology, right? Having a data catalog, having a data integration capability, having mm -hmm. data governance and data strategy. So maybe you do bring in a CDO to help with that and processes. Um, not saying everyone needs to go all the way up to advanced analytics and predictive modeling. You can do a bunch of stuff with just descriptive analytics, but you've got to have that data strategy because if they don't trust the data. Um, but then on the very far end, sometimes we we see challenges where the people who need to make the decisions and the people who own the data speak two different languages and they need better communication. And so we've seen a lot of companies be successful where you literally have a translator that communicates between the data team and the business team and understands both sides. Because, you know, we talked about it, the consumer says, I need to know how my sales presentation or how my marketing campaign went. You could have the data team go off and make a million assumptions about what qualifies as good, what's the success criteria, what was the marketing campaign. But they could spend days building this model and completely miss the, the point of why. Um, and so we have some orgs that educate on the why, and then we see other times you bring in these translators that connect the dots for people to get things rolling. Uh, and those are all been helpful as well. But it definitely the technology piece in place. Um, sometimes there's key roles like the, I mentioned the chief data officer, just to inform the, the processes. A lot of times the HR function is there to help with the culture component and make sure that people have this safe environment for challenging. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like you mentioned, resources are important, 
but also maybe tools, right, personnel processes in place and things like that, you know, so they could be missing any one of those, you know, and, and, and you're able to help inform them about, you know, filling in that void, right? You know, uh, it, I mean, this is, that's the awesome, I think, position to be in because there, this is something, like I said, is, I think is a unique um, uh, aspect to data, you know, that, and, and it's, re it's really funny because if you really think about it, it's, it should not be very unique, right? <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, it's definitely something that is not talked about enough, right? You know, um, and it's important, right? Because you're, you're trying to create this data drive culture, data driven culture, you know, amongst everybody, anybody that is in the organization, you know, and different, many different pieces, you know, to it, you know, so, so with that being said, if you're if you're communicating with a, a, a one employee right there, right in, in an organization or say a C-level exec, you know, or, it, you know, depending on the role, right, it could be different. But how do you improve someone's decision making? Right. Just one on one. Right. You're communicating with them. You know, if you were to, you know, uh, really talk to somebody that really is, is just off the street, you know, right, because. It's important, right? It is, yeah. I mean, in, in the book, Training Data Wisdom, we have a bunch of checklists and systematic processes, but it really comes down to you're facilitating, you're asking questions. And it's not just why, but everything that they say, going back to what we said, you're asking them to show the work, you're asking them why, you're asking them um, very open-ended questions, like, is that all the data that's relevant? Could there be other data over here? The situation you mentioned, when could that not be true? And mm -hmm. many times what's eye-opening to execs, consumers, us as individuals is when we're going through our decision-making process and then we re retrospectively look back where we make the mistakes are not the technical side. They're the soft mm -hmm. skills side. They're the human side. We have done everything to understand the technology but we had an assumption that we didn't bring to light. And so we didn't bring it to light. No one could challenge it. Um, so one of the biggest things I tell everyone is outside of work, pick a situation where you had to make a, a decision, go back and assess it and think about writing out your work. What were your assumptions? Why did you mm -hmm. think, did you come up with other scenarios and rule them out? Um, it's amazingly if I mean, unfortunately, for people I work with, I do this all the time on them. We do this with, you know, our school system with our kids. And it's amazing what you can find when, when you work backwards this way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, those are great points. You know, I mean, I find myself a lot of times when when trying to make a decision. Um, I think it takes uh, some of the things you mentioned, I think it takes like patience, right? You know, patience to yeah. to understand how to ask the right questions. Right. Because I I found it it honestly has taken me, you know, within data science, I'm meeting with customers. It has taken me years before I feel very comfortable with asking the right questions, you know, to a customer. Right. Uh, it, it 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 was at one point, I think initially when I first met, met with customers, I would just take what they say. Right. You know, and just run with it. And. And then I would have questions as I'm going through the process. I'm like, man, I should ask this. Let me go back, you know. Um, and when I think about my decision making, right, myself, right, I think about how now I take my time to ask myself, is this the right decision to make, right? You know, if I'm switching jobs, right, just in general, you know, it takes me weeks before I make a decision to really make a transition than before. It didn't make me, it, it didn't take that much, right? You know, it also took, and we talk about how, you know, we could just, I could take your word that a company is great to go to, right? You know, as a consumer, right? If I'm purchasing a table, we talked about purchasing a table, you know, my, I, I could actually do research on it now. So consumers are now saying, hey, look, I want to do my own research along with the word of mouth that somebody's telling me. And that's going to help combining all that will help me make that final decision, right? And, and what I'm finding is that, you know, limiting, limiting choices, you know, is a critical part of uh, decision-making from my opinion, you know? So when I have 
10 choices, 20 choices, right? It's hard for me to make a, a crucial decision. So I start to eliminate those things, right? I remember uh, Obama and um, Mark Zuckerberg, right? And even Steve Jobs, they had this thing about, uh, or Warren Buffett, right? They had these things about uh, decision fatigue, right? <laughs> so they would wear the suits all the time, right? That they would wear like one or two suits, right? If that, or Mark Zuckerberg wears like the same outfit all the time, probably different, you know, outfits, but, you know, the same exact blue and blue jeans, white shirt, right? You always see him in that, right? Unless he had to go to court or something for, you know, the yeah. stuff they get to do. But, uh, but that eliminated so much in his life, right? When you wake up in the morning, you say, hey, look, all I have to do is pick this outfit, right? And then I go into work and I'm good to go, right? Uh, is that one of the things that you try to help out with maybe when dealing with um, uh, 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 your customers, you know, when you're talking about decision-making? Yeah. So you mentioned decision fatigue, right? And, you know, technically in the brain, we call you know, there's some called cognitive load, like the brain can only take so much, right? It, it's a computer. And what, you know, I think we try to do is we try to minimize the cognitive load so that we can really use it for things that it needs to do well. And what I mean by that is there's things that we just decisions we make unconsciously, like that, that's great. We don't have to think about it. We don't use any cognitive load. But at the same time, I don't want to spend 10 days deciding, you know, what color t-shirt to wear for this podcast when I could be spending it on more strategic things. So, you know, one of the things we talk about is prioritization. What are the decisions you need to make? And we classify those or those decisions that you can walk back from in the future, because then it's okay if you're in a culture where you just want to agilely improve or, or fall, just fall fast and learn versus mm -hmm. decisions where you materially change the business. And there really is no undo button that's where you want to focus more of the cognitive load. So we have lots of strategies you can use for the, the quicker type decisions just to get it out there and learn from it. And then obviously a little more robust ones with, with the bigger ones. And there are always similarities. Like, again, I'll mention challenging assumptions is, is the biggest one. I'll give you a you know, personal story because I think this highlights what we're talking about. Um, and, and you can use these processes outside work. So one of our kids was having some issues at school and, and we went to the, the team meeting and the teachers had data, right? They had behavior data. What were the behaviors? What was the discipline? What was the consequence? And, you know, they don't know I'm a statistician at, at that time um, by trade. So, you know, they're saying, okay, lots of behaviors and ultimately long story short is a bigger story, but they came up with an, with, with an outcome where they were going to, you know, pull them aside and do more, you know, one-on-one -on -one work with them. And I just looked at the data again and, and I kind of had this light bulb moment. And in my brain quickly, I knew their decision-making process and I knew their fault. And it was a fault that they didn't know existed. So looking at the data, what I saw was anytime that there was a behavior, the consequence was he go to the principal's office. And mm -hmm. the mistake with that is the assumption the school made, kids don't like going to the principal's office. I go home and I'm like, hey, you know, how did the day go? He's like, it's great. I kicked someone and went to the principal and she read to me for 30 minutes. I think I'm going to kick him again tomorrow. Oh. Like, all of this work put together, the right decision-making process and the fatal flaw in the process is they didn't challenge the assumption that no one likes going to the principal's office. They didn't get diverse perspectives. Um, right, right. That's a great point because if I – if I heard something where I had to decide, you know, whether I'm going to the principal's office or not, I'm not, I'm not going to the principal's, the principal's office, you know? Exactly. 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 Right. Yeah. But there yeah. are people like my son that apparently love adult stimulation at that age. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> second grade. So, um, but that's the point is in business, we, we think like we know the world and the world's changing so much. We have these assumptions that are not accurate anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's like uh, checking the validity, right, of a whole a research uh, project, right? I mean, that's, I mean, there's so many different, um, I guess, uh, uh, not barriers, well, it could be barriers, or uh, just there's so many different assumptions that you're not taking into account, right, when trying to make this decision, right? Exactly. And so, you know, it's amazing that you, you brought that up because that happens all the time. It happens in everyday life. It happens yes. in organizations, you know, Everywhere. and, uh, you know, and, and it's funny, is it starts to, to make me think, you know, who is the person 
that should be challenging. And I guess what you're saying is everybody in the organization should be challenging those yes. things, right? You know, think about, oh, you know, well, they're not taking into account this, right? It's probably everybody. Everybody in your role, you know, is certain times where you're making a decision and you want to account for as much as you can, right? To make sure that it is um, that 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 you're uh, that you're that the the accuracy or efficiency, you know, is 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 definitely better, you know, than that. So now that's a that was a great point, you know. So all right, uh, we talked about data literacy, right? We got into a little bit about how the organizations, um, how you structure a lot of uh, uh, organizations when it comes down to helping them create. Uh, data informed, um, well, creating a data informed organization, right? You know, we definitely talked about how to improve decision making. Now, if you were to create a roadmap, okay, right? I mean, I know a lot of times the process is in place. So if you were to go to an organization, maybe there's a roadmap from, you know, step zero or step one all the way to step, I don't know, there's probably many steps in your roadmap, but maybe 20 of them or something, let's say. Um, and, and it's related to your data literacy program or how you're helping out organizations. What would you say are the top three things to consider? Yeah, it's a great point. I, I think the first thing is every organization, every individual is different. So it usually helps doing some type of baseline assessment, some baseline evaluation, um, because as you, hopefully you learn through the, through the podcast, data literacy isn't yes or no, it's not binary, it, it's it's a spectrum. So imagine this heat map of capabilities for what it takes for a data scientist, a leader, a consumer, all these different skills. And it it's not feasible to assume that all of those skills are gonna be green on day one, you're gonna have gaps. And so what I like to do is do that type of an assessment so that we can visualize, you know, with heat maps, red is, is lower, green is better where you have your bulks of reds and, and that can help us focus on areas to start with because you kind of want to do the, the biggest gap first from that perspective. So if, if we have really good data strategy, we have really good data scientists, but we don't have a codified decision-making process and that comes mm -hmm. up red and people don't know how to challenge, people don't know how to um, weigh risk reward, they don't know how to assess probabilities you know, that would be one of the areas that we'd focus on, on on the roadmap first from a educational point of view, but then also putting in processes and policies and procedures that do make decision-making a codified process, changing the structure of meetings so that they're mm -hmm. not, and one of the big things we talk about is dialogue versus discussion, right? When you're in a meeting and you're doing a discussion, every person talking, the only thing they're interested in is getting the other person to agree with them. Whether we mm -hmm. like it or not, that's all they're doing. In right. a dialogue, the output's different. The dialogue is not to win, it's to understand. So many times when we see that in that heat map that there's just no collaboration, we put in practices where we train on the benefits of dialogue. So in dialogue, everyone states their perspective, no one challenges it. You just, you, you listen, you understand. Um, then you get the collaborative thinking, you know, diversity trumps ability and you start making better decisions. But if they already had that process, I wouldn't start there. I'd start somewhere else. So it really, you know, starts with baselining where the strengths and weaknesses are. And I'm a big fan of, you know, not ignoring the weaknesses, but but hitting them first and, and early on in the process. No, those are great points. And and I would say, you know, just that right there, right, the dialogue portion is almost like uh, how you should communicate in relationships in general, right? You know, I remember going to a, a couples therapy years and years ago, right, and they talked about how communication was so, so important, you know, and even after that, right, you know, it was, they talked about how communication was so important, right, and, you know, the whole, you're, you're having a conversation with the person to understand, you know, where they're coming from, right, and so you could take that in almost every aspect, when you're talking to your kids, even, you know, a lot of times being able to understand where they're coming from, if I was to talk to my son, and no matter what he said, I'm, I'm I'm trumping him, I guess, or I'm I'm trying to make sure that I I, I let him know who's the authoritative figure yeah. every single time, right? He's gonna shut down. It's not gonna really get anything across, right? You know. So exactly. uh, yes. It, but it, it, I mean, you just said it, right? So what paraphrasing what you said is, if I was talking to my son and I and I didn't listen to him, 
but then you understand why we have this. So think about schooling, right? You spend so much time doing reading. You spend so much time doing writing. Did you ever take a listening class? I mean, 75% no. of communication <laughs> is listening, right? It's not reading and writing. Yeah, I've never taken a listening class, So, but it's a major form of communication. So like, I understand the challenge. I know exactly why we're there, but that's the problem is we don't emphasize listening when it's probably the most important form of communication because you get that understanding, you get the why. Yeah, no, no, that's a great point, you know. Um, one thing I thought about throughout this conversation is, you know, when when throughout the roadmap, is there any point where you have to assess the skills of the employees, you know, uh, throughout that process, you're training this organization, we're teaching them about data literacy, right? I know we talked about it before, how there's so many different uh, uh, levels or skill sets. Do you do you assess the levels of skill sets beforehand? You know, I mean, the workplace is so diverse and at the same time, you have modern employees, they expect more of that personalization, right, of the career and skill development programs to them, right? Do you see that? Yeah, you, well, spot on exactly. Is the worst thing to, to motivate people, especially in a massive change management, or not massive, but in a change management, is force them to do stuff that either they already know or they're not interested in doing. So if we do like baseline skills assessments, the benefit is, is exponential. So first, they realize that if they passed out on these things, they don't have to take the mandatory training on it. But then it also gives them the self-awareness of, oh, I'm missing those listening skills. Those could really come in useful, not at work, but also at home with you know relationships with the spouse and the kids. And then they're motivated to take it. Um, and then by doing assessments throughout the change management process, we're able to show them progress. And that's what better motivates people than hearing, great job, you're making great progress. Man, man, great point, man. Well, Kevin, this has been very enlightening. I mean, I, I appreciate you being on the podcast. And, you know, I mean, I, I think we probably need to do another one, man. Once I gather all my questions, you know, I definitely, <laughs> you know, I have a lot more questions, I'm telling you, or I'll just shoot your email and be selfish to the audience. I don't know. You know, we'll see. But but uh, but but as everybody always they, they know that I like to end with what I call a dope data nugget or some type of gem. Right. So I like to summarize it. And so based off of this conversation, OK, if the audience is listening out there, there there's a significant human impact to implementing data literacy. Right. You know, I mean, when you think about implementing data literacy in an organization, you're thinking about boosting productivity. You're thinking about uh, uh, empowering the workforce, right? You know, some of the things that you just talked about, that's what I feel like uh, would, would really, why, why data literacy is so important for the organization, you know? And data is that, what I call a gold mine. You know, I always talk about it. I mean, they go Google or whoever it was mentioned how data is new oil, right? You know, we skip past so many processes before uh, we skip data literacy a lot, if that makes sense, you know? And that can, and that can really help the organization drive growth. You know, and and so I really appreciate you being on. Is there anything that you want to enlighten the audience with as a final summarization? Yeah, I mean, we covered a lot. I guess the key thing I want people to take away is data literacy is is not a black and white yes or no. It, it is for everyone. Um, and don't think of data as just numbers. It's it's all the information you see. Even watch the news, right? And you're being shown data. And in today's mm -hmm. time, like some of that data is not accurate. It's not based in science. Right. Some of it is. So you need to make educated decisions about that, not even in work. So again, it, it, it's not a, I like helping organizations become more data alert, but it's a life skill for everyone. We all get data unless there's someone that never watches the news, never reads the newspaper, never looks at reviews, never leaves the house, then it's maybe not. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, it's a skill we all need. No, no, no. Great point. Great point. Thank, thanks a lot, Kevin, for that. All right. Time to have a little bit of fun. Awesome. All right. So um, as the audience knows, right, that I like to play a game called Overrated, Underrated. And I actually got this game from a mentor of mine, Gary Vee, uh, who I listen to a lot on YouTube and all the different social media posts. Uh, but Overrated, Underrated, basically, I will list to you, to the guests, right? I'll list to you, Kevin, um, uh, uh, probably a series of, you know, different topics. Right. And you tell me whether you think it's overrated, underrated or right where it needs to be. All right. Okay. 
Are you ready? I think so. <laughs> All right. The Super Bowl. Right where it needs to be. Uh, well, you know, I don't know if we have a global audience, I would say it, it's probably even underrated. I know it's the most watched television event, but it's for everyone, right? Like I like the sports, my kids like the commercials. This mm -hmm. year, the halftime show was great. So uh, I guess, it, you know, at that level, it's either right where it needs to be underrated because it it, it has something for everyone. No, no, great point. You know, I, did, I didn't think about how it actually has something for everyone, right? You know, I mean, some people who really are hardcore football fans, that's great for you. You're there. Or American football, you love it. You know, you're in there. Uh, that's that's your uh, time to, to really focus in, right? But then you have the halftime show. Some people really just watch it just for the halftime show some people watch it just for the commercials right <laughs> you know my kids, so, i'll add the fourth and my kids it's one of the few times a year where they'll ask for takeout and i'll have to say yes so they like the food <laughs> aspect of it the social aspect of it. <laughs> oh man all right travel for vacation underrated i mm -hmm. am a huge i mean i don't like flying i used to fly all the time for work i've been all over the world but just something about, you know, not the actual process of traveling, but landing in a different climate, maybe a different time zone, um, being out of your element. So, you know, vacation is rest and relax. I'm not a huge rest and relax. I, I like to like run around and do things, but you know, I live in New England and you know, there's it's 20 degrees out in snow. So if I want to go to Disney and have fun with the kids, I can't do that here. I got to travel for it. Yeah, so yeah. more options. Are you a Patriots fan? No comment, but absolutely, yes. <laughs> but I've always been, even when they were bad, even when I was growing up and they had the worst record in the NFL for years, I was a Patriot fan, so. Oh, man, oh, man. Okay, okay. All right, the hardcover book. That's a tough one. I am a fan of hardcover books for very special books that you want to show and display um otherwise if it just is a casual book you're reading and you like it it's expensive it's too expensive um i am a fan of kindles and stuff like that but there's just something old-fashioned nostalgic about an old hardcover book i have a few hardcover books in my uh closet in my book and i'll give them away only to special people most people get the paper book but um i think there's something special about a hardcover all right all right the zoo the zoo I'm going to say overrated. Uh -huh. um, I, well, don't let your kids hear this, man. <laughs> well, it's not your natural habitat, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, how would you feel if the monkeys drove by or lions drove by and we're in a, I'm in a glass cage and they're watching me work? I'm not going to have it. And it, it's so, not about being PC or, I mean, I guess it is, but I, I just, sometimes I feel bad for them. I, I don't know. I'm sure they're treated well, but I wouldn't want to be away from my family or being you yeah. know, I'm an introvert. I don't want a hundred people watching me work and go to the bathroom and eat. I mean, that's just right. awkward. Oh man. You know, great point. You know, because a lot of times, right. You're coming from the wildlife. You're used to doing these things. Nobody's watching you, right. On a constant, consistent basis. Your natural habitat is that right. The wildlife, you know, but then you're, you're, you're stuck in this area, this cage, right? You know, where everybody's watching and, and they're, you know, maybe banging on the windows, right? Depending on what you're, where, where, where you're at. And it's, it does suck, right? You know, it does, it is, it is something where it's like, man, you know, um, you feel bad for them because you know that that's, if we were in that situation, we would not, we, we would not be happy, right? You know, great point, great point. All right, cable TV overrated at least nowadays right i mean i probably spend it's genius right if i add up all the the subscription streaming services i'm probably paying three times cable um, yeah <laughs> but that's how they get you so streaming genius i wish i thought of that business model but cable i guess is overrated because really what i'm missing is the local news that i can get online yeah 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 i know i'm always told my parents were like man you need to have the news you know but yeah, I'm I I'm a big streaming fan. I cut the cord, right? That whole cable cord. Right. I cut that years ago. And for me, it wasn't. I think it was the uh, the the subscriptions were great. And again, like you said, if you're you have a ridiculous amount of subscriptions, right? Everybody has something that you may want, right? Even if it's one show that the other the other program doesn't have, right? And so you might subscribe to it, you know. 
But the, the, the benefit to me of streaming services is that I can get out of them majority of the time when I want to. Right? I'm not tied to this contract, right? Where Verizon just says, hey, you have this whatever year's contract. And if you get out, you got to pay and all this crap, whatever, or something yeah. like that. You know? So uh, that's the thing that gets me off. True. And your, you said your parents mentioned the news. I, you know, when I hear that, I'm like, I, I get the news the second it happens now. I didn't have to wait till 6 p.m. like you guys did when you were young. Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> All right. Uh, Boston Clam Chowder. Versus Manhattan Clam Chowder, no contest. It's, yeah. I would say it's right where it needs to be, probably underrated outside of New England. Um, okay. It, you know, the cream base versus the, the tomato base. It just, uh, it, no. It's not biased? Are you sure? You know, oh, it's not biased at all. It's proven in science and data. Okay. <laughs> yes, we to say otherwise. It's not biased. <laughs> all right. Um, the last one, gaming. You know, I, I could go both ways. I actually see a lot of benefits of gaming for people that have certain social disabilities that want to use it as a way to, you know, network and make better connections and communication. Um, but I also see it as a way where people can just escape into an alternate reality and get soaked into there to the point that it becomes their reality and it's not good. So I, I, I guess I'd have to say neutral. It, it, for some people, it, it's bad. And for some people, it's actually really positive for them. Right, right, right. Well, Kevin, it has been a pleasure. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Again, thank you all for listening to the Data is My Science podcast, a show that makes data your passion. I'm your host, Dapper Data, and we had this very special guest, very knowledgeable guest on the call today. And, you know, again, it's been a pleasure. You know, where can they reach you at, Kevin? And is there anything that you're promoting, promoting right now? Absolutely. I'd love, you know, if people are interested in the topic, they check out the book. The book goes through some methodologies and strategies and examples of how you can make better decisions. Um, it's called Turning Data into Wisdom. You can just check it out on Amazon or go to my website, kevinhannigan.com, either way. Um, those would be the two big things. All right. Great, great, great. Well, audience, as you know, you can always reach me on uh, a majority of social media platforms, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, at Mr. Dapper Data. Uh, and also definitely check out my book called uh, Making the Most Informed Decisions with Your uh, Data Using Social Media Analytics. Um, and again, audience, thank you for listening in. As always, I love you all. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion with your host, Dapper Data.